Let's turn to our text today. From Mark chapter 6, verse 30 to verse 44. Can we stand for the reading of God's Word? Let's read together John, oh, sorry, Mark chapter 6, verse 30. The apostles returned to Jesus from their ministry tour and told him all that they had done and taught. Then Jesus said, Let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said this because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his apostles didn't even have time to eat. So they left by boat for a quiet place where they could be alone. But many people recognized them and saw them leaving, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. Late in the afternoon, his disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowd away so that they can go to the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus said, you feed them. With what, they asked. Would they have to work for months to earn enough money to buy food for all these people? How much bread do you have, he asked. Go and find out. They came back and reported, we have five loaves of bread and two fish. Then Jesus told the disciples to have the people sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups of 50 or 100. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven and blessed them. Then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread to the disciples so that they could distribute it to the people. He also divided the fish for everyone to share. They all ate as much as they wanted and afterward, the disciples pick up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. A total of 5,000 men and their families were fed. The Lord had blessings to His Word. Thank you. Please be seated. Now, this is one of the most loved of the miracles of Jesus Christ. One of the most mentioned of the miracles of Jesus Christ. In fact, this is the only miracle that is recorded in all of the four Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, besides the miracle of the resurrection, of course. You know, the resurrection and the feeding of the 5,000 were the only two miracles that were recorded in all of the four Gospels. And the way that, it, that this miracle is recorded shows that, hey, you know, the Gospel writers, you know, uh, uh, were very dramatic about it, you know, were very intense about it as if they were eyewitnesses themselves. So this is a very, very important uh, miracle. And it happened, you know, during the, one of the hectic moments of the life of Jesus Christ and also one of the critical periods. What happened is uh, the disciples had just come back from the first time that they have gone on a mission trip. Now, if you have not gone on a mission trip, you should, all right? You must go on a mission trip. So Jesus sent them out on their own. No more he with them, but they were on their own. He empowered them, anointed them, and they came back and said, Wow, it is fantastic. Their first mission trip, and they came back and reported to Jesus Christ what had happened, what they had done, and what had happened, and, and the miracles that had happened. Demons were just cast out. People were just getting healed, and people were getting saved. They were so excited, but they were exhausted. It has been a very exhausting one. Those of you who have been involved in ministry you know, for an intensive period, you know what it means. So they came back and Jesus says, come, come, let's, let's take a break. And perhaps Jesus himself needed that because news have just reached him that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded by Herod. And, and, and Jesus may not be fearing that death, but it, it may be a reminder that his is coming soon as well, you know. And to be beheaded in that manner by a cruel king, you know, is, is just, it's just too much to bear perhaps. So the disciples heard about it, Jesus heard about it, and they needed time for themselves. And so Jesus says, come, let's go to the other side of the lake. 
which is about, you know, by boat, about two hours or the most three hours, he, they will be able to reach the other side. And that's what happened. They went into a boat and they, 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 they sailed uh, towards the other side uh, you know, of the lake. Uh, and, and, and it is heading towards a, 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 a town called Bethsaida. And they were at Cap- near, near to Capernaum at that time. They were heading towards Bethsaida. And the people heard about it. And so the Bible here tells us, wow, you know, they ran after him. All right? They ran up, uh, after him. The people from Capernaum and on the way, they passed by Chorazin. And, and the, the people heard about it. And the Bible here says they ran around the shore. It's about, you know, uh, from where they were now, uh, it's about seven miles journey. Can you just imagine making a seven miles journey? Now, of course, it's not like driving seven miles. Driving seven miles nowadays is nothing, right? But in those days, they walk. You have to walk seven miles there and coming back seven miles, seven miles journey. And some of them ran because they wanted to be ahead of Jesus. And that's what happened. Some of them, many of them managed to do it. You know, by the time they reached the, 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 uh, where Jesus and his disciples were to disembark, you know, the crowd had gathered, you know, and there were about 5,000 men there already, besides the women and the children. In those days, sorry, ladies, you know, they don't count the ladies. All right, in those days, somehow they count only the men. All right. And when they are seated, all right, men sit one side, ladies sit one side, they count only the men. And so the number there could be 10,000, 15,000, we don't know. But then they were there. And so when Jesus reached the shore, there they were. All right? He was shocked. Instead of having a quiet sabbatical, instead of having a peaceful rest, there were five, more than 5,000 people there waiting for ministry. What do you do? Jesus ministered to them. And then here we have the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. Now, it's important for us to understand all of this because, yes, we have heard these stories many times. We have read about it many times. But perhaps there are certain elements of it which we miss out. Now, it happened. Although Mark did not call it a miracle at all because, you know, it wasn't like a man getting healed and everybody can see it. When the miracle happened, perhaps because the crowd was so big, people didn't even know that a miracle had happened. All they saw was food coming to them. The the, the disciples distributing the food. They did not know where the food came from. That's why Mark did not call it a miracle. But John called it a sign. And God is wanting to teach them something. It's not about just the food. It's more about what Jesus Christ is doing here. And after this miracle, there was another miracle that follows immediately. Jesus walking on the water. The disciples saw they were afraid. They could not understand. Lest we think that we have understood this miracle. The disciples were there, they saw it, and guess what? They did not understand. That's why Mark later says, in Mark chapter 6, verse 52, further down the verse, the passage, he says, for they had not understood about the loaves. They had not understood about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. Sometimes we can read the passage so many times. We can hear the sermon being preached so many times. We can see the miracle so many times and yet we may not understand it. That's why we have to pray for understanding of the Holy Spirit even on passages that are so common, so familiar to us. Jesus ministered in the open. Yes, there were times that he ministered in the synagogues. But most of his ministries happened outside the synagogues. Or outside the church, if you please. He deliberately do it to show that the influence of the church must be beyond the walls of the church. And the miracles that God wants to do is not just confined to the four walls. There are more miracles out there that can be done in the name of Jesus Christ. And for whose benefit? For the benefit of the community. Towns after towns, as, he was, as they were heading by boat, 
you know, the people ran and they gathered the people. They passed through certain villages and more people joined. Towns and villages and cities were impacted. And that's what the church ought to be. That's where the church ought to be. Yes, we come together for worship, for praises, you know, all the internal ministries, you're right. It takes a lot of ministries to carry out, to, to, to do what we are doing. And it is good, it is needed. But after being built, after being fed, after being blessed, we are to go out there. The church is supposed to be out there in the world. Are you with me? Can somebody say Amen. The mission of the church is not just here, but it is outside, not inside, but outside. When will we gather there? And the ministries of Jesus happen many times outside. From this passage, I'd like to share on you, feed them. It is about the church impacting community. Jesus says, you. The church, the believers, feed them, the world, the needy, the poor, the community. It is a church impacting community. What is the impact of the church in the community? We have to ask that. On Tuesday in a pastoral staff meeting, I asked this question. There should be a difference in the community because the church exists. And if it left for some reason, there should be a void that's felt. And the question is, if glad tidings closes the door and we shut down the church, will anybody miss our absence or not? Will anybody know that, even know, and even bother that we existed here in session 13? This is the month of August. We moved into this building here in the month of August in 2003. We have been here for 15 years. 15 years in session 13. Does anybody know? Does anybody care that Glad Tidings is here and we close shop tomorrow and move somewhere else or, or whatever? Will anybody care at all or miss our presence? If the answer is, is nobody cares, nobody knows, that means our impact has been insignificant. Vision Centre 2 was completed and we dedicated it in August 2013. We have been using it for five years already. So if we close down, does it make any difference? Have we been such an influence in this community that they would miss having us here? The worst case scenario is they say good riddance. And some churches have been there because of the, the, the you know, especially in the housing estate, when, you know, on, when, when, when there are services, they park their car all over, block the neighbor's uh, 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 gate and all those things. And when the church moves out, everybody clap. Because, because of the problem that the church has created in the traffic thing. Let it not be so. So that when we move out, the, the, the community will miss us and we will yearn for us and they will fill the void. That's what we want to be. And we ask the question among the pastoral meeting there, what can we do to bless the community, to transform the community? We came up with certain ideas, you know, and in the days to come, we want to continue to put more meat into that, to be a blessing in the community. It was Charles Swindoll who noted that God's church is the only organization in the world that exists for non-members. Now, some of you members think, oh no, the church exists for me. I got privileges as a member. Wrong. Charles Swindoll says, the church exists for its non-members. Only organization.
organization in the world. Think about that. We exist not for ourselves, but for the world. Sometimes I stand outside in the church office there, counting the cars, seeing the people passing by. And Jalan 13 Stroke 4 is a heavy volume traffic. People walking by, and now they have cut down the trees. They may make it into a green area. They may make pedestrian walkway. You know, that was in the Rancangan 13 by the government. And it's a heavy traffic area. People passing by every day. Cars, buses, lorries. Young people, elderly people. Hundreds of them, thousands. Have we made an impact in their lives? That's what we, that's what we want to do as a church. But let's consider... This passage further, we have a problem. Alright, we have a problem here. Bible says, but many people recognized them and saw them living, and people from many towns ran ahead along the shore and got there ahead of them. Many people. And what is the problem in the world? People. The problem with people. It is like in one of the cartoon strips on Charlie Brown. And Charlie Brown says, I love the world. I love the world. It is people that I cannot stand. And some of us are like that. It's very easy to say, God so loved the world, I also love the world. But when it comes to people, there are certain people that we just cannot stand. And the problem is with people. And not just people, the Bible here says many people. Many people. People, people everywhere. And they are the source of our problems. And sometimes we think, if I can just be alone by myself, whoa, what a bliss it will be. Now, of course, many of us are wired, all of us are wired differently. Some of us cannot live without people. All right? You just need to be with people. Some of us, ah, we cannot stand people. We like seclusion, isolation, privacy, and all of that. You know? But even with those people who love to be with people, they have problems with people. So all of us do have problems with people. And what's our problem? It's our perspective on people. People can be very exhausting, isn't it? I mean, some people are just like leeches. They hang on to you and they suck your blood. Every ounce of energy and every ounce of strength that you have, at the end of the day, you are just depleted. And you are just exhausted. And it's not just one day. They come frequently. They come begging at, on your door. You know, uh, frequently. And you thought that you are done. You have solved the problem, that, but they keep coming back on you. These are the people that are so exhausting. And these 5,000 people, hey, Jesus have already ministered to them in Capernaum. And these are some of the same people who are running ahead of him to near to the city of, uh, near to the village of uh, Bethsaida. And Jesus, when he landed there, I'm sure he recognized some of these people. I've already prayed for you. I have already healed you. How come you're still here? People can be very exhausting. And some, sometimes we think that they are just a nuisance. Or they are very needy, full of needs and are such a burden. I don't have to give examples, but constantly our ministry are towards people of such kind. They are in need. Otherwise, they wouldn't have come in the first place. So how do you see them? A burden? A nuisance? Now, I know that there are some people who have made this as their life. You know, they go around begging from one place to another, from one church to another and all that. But those may be some of those rare cases. Not everybody is like that. And there are a lot of genuine cases. How do you deal with them? It's how you look at people. How did Jesus look at them? When he saw them, he was so exhausted, physically, emotionally drained, having gone over the grieving period of John the Baptist, and there landed 
in suppose, supposedly a secluded place, seeking R and R, but there the people were waiting. He could have been so disappointed, but he was not. Bible says, Jesus looked at them, the people, as sheep without a shepherd. Not a nuisance, not a problem, not a burden, but just as sheep without a shepherd. You know what sheep without shepherd means? Sheep are not very intelligent animals. Sheep are actually very stupid animals, really. And left on their own, they cannot survive. They are defenseless against the animals in the wild. In fact, they are directional, directionless. They don't know where to go. They are totally helpless. Without a shepherd, they are totally helpless. There was one story of, of, of what happened in Turkey. There was one sheep that fell over the cliff and 150 sheep followed after. Because they just follow one another, even to their death. They are, they, they, they are clueless. And Jesus, look at these people, so needy, yes. But a sheep without a shepherd. That's why when the Bible says, the Lord is my shepherd. That's a very powerful statement already. Now, we do not understand about sheep. We do not understand about the sheep culture and the relationship of the shepherd and the sheep. But it's vital. It's vital for the, for the survival, for the growth, or even of the sheep themselves. He is my shepherd. He is my good shepherd. That's why Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And here we have the good shepherd tending after the more than 5,000 flock of sheep without a shepherd. And he will defend. He will protect you. We are the sheep of his flock. Somebody say, Amen. And he knows every single one of his sheep. He knows every single one of you, your, your worries, your burden, your cares, your anxieties, your helplessness. And he's here to help each and every one because the Lord is my shepherd. He is our shepherd. But the disciples, they don't have that perspective. Hey, what do you do with these troublesome people? Jesus, we are supposed to have a sabbatical here. Supposed to have R&R. &R. And it was getting late. Jesus ministered to them. And so, they sense the problem. And they say, send them away. That's the easier solution, isn't it? When we have troublesome people, what do we do? Send them to the other church. Ah, <laughs> So now you understand how church growth happens. Send them to the other church. Send them to the another state. Because the disciples felt helpless. They did not see 5,000 sheep. They saw 5,000 problems. They did not see the opportunity. They saw the barrier, the obstacle, the problem with people. And they also identified it. It was Philip in the book of John. In the Gospel of John, it was Philip who says, Hey, 200 denarii is not enough to feed these people. 200 denarii is not enough. One denarii is for one day's wage. So 200 denarii is for about eight or eight and a half months' wages. It is not enough to feed these people. Not enough money. Not enough resources. Send them away. That's a common handling of people. But Jesus wouldn't have that. Because the Bible says he had compassion on them. Compassion will not allow you to send away people empty-handed. Still in their problems, still in their bondages, he had compassion. 
See, when we see a person in need, we can respond emotionally in several ways. Some people respond with apathy, absence of emotion. You just don't care. You don't see the need. That's a person's problem. Nothing to do with me. Some people respond with sympathy. A harmony of feeling. You see a need, you know how they feel, and you sympathize. You felt that way too for them, at least for a while, for that moment. There is empathy. And counselors, you know, you, you don't need sympathy. You need empathy, at least. So empathy is when you empathize with someone, it means you hurt with them, you share the pain that they feel. You understand where they are at. There is a deeper level already. And at the very minimal, to be good counselors, you need to have that empathy. But Jesus felt something deeper than that. Not apathy, not sympathy, not empathy, but compassion. Compassion is to be moved inwardly, feeling deeply, to yearn with tender mercy. It refers to the deepest possible feelings. Sorrow for somebody who is hurting and not just feeling what they felt, but wanting to do something about it. And there's a difference between empathy and compassion. Empathy, you feel it, but sometimes you don't do anything about it. But comp compassion goes all the way. You suffer with those who suffer, and you do something about it. True heartfelt compassion compels us to do something about the condition of those that we have compassion with. Henry Newman puts it the best. Compassion asks us to go where it hurts, to enter into the places of pain, to share in brokenness, fear, confusion, and anguish. Compassion challenges us to cry out with those in misery, to mourn with those who are lonely, to weep with those who are in tears. Compassion requires us to be weak with the weak, vulnerable with the vulnerable, and powerless with the powerless. Compassion means full immersion in the condition of being human. And so when the Bible says Jesus had compassion with them, the literal Greek word is there is an internal movement of the bowels. He felt it within the bowels. That's how deep it is. And the Bible says he ministered to them. He had to do something about their condition. And he taught them many things. He taught them perhaps many things of how to overcome their problems in life. The blessings of God, the love of the Father, the care of the shepherd to strengthen them in the journey ahead. And compassion is where miracles begin. Church, if all of us want to do any ministries, we want, if you expect the miracles of God, whether it be healing or deliverance or salvation, compassion is where it all begins. Miracles will happen when there are compassionate hearts. Hearts moved by the compassion of the Master. Jesus was moved with compassion many times. And then after that, the miracles begin to happen. You cannot have a healing ministry without that heart of compassion. We cannot have a preaching ministry. We cannot have a teaching ministry even without a heart of compassion. You see, our God is a compassionate God. Psalms 86 verse 15, You, Lord, are a compassionate and gracious God. In other words, He not only sees your problem, He not only feels your problem, but He is here to do something about your problem. That's what compassion is. Feeling and doing something about it. Psalms 145 verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. And Matthew 20, 34, move with compassion. Jesus touched their eyes and they received sight. Move with compassion. Then the miracles begin to happen. Mark 1, 41, move with compassion. Reaches, re Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I'm willing, he said, be made clean. And he was made clean. 
That's what compassion does. It moves us to action. And then the miracles of God begin to happen. And Jesus, all through the Gospels, we see the compassion of Jesus. He had compassion for those who were suffering, for those who were sick, for those who are in sin, for those who are sincerely seeking truth. Jesus had compassion, the Bible says here in this passage, and He taught them many things. And His teachings were powerful. Why? Because He was with compassion. Compassion. All the people there, they had had many rabbis, many teachers, many religious leaders. They have had many teachings. But it doesn't affect them. Why? Because you can teach and teach and teach and just download information into the hearts and heads of the people without compassion, people will not be blessed. But Jesus' teaching is with difference because He had compassion. He taught them. They had teachers but none that really cared for them like this good shepherd. So you want to make an impact in our ministries, teaching, preaching, reaching out, whatever it is, it must be with compassion. What a difference it makes when the community knows that a church cares for them and their families. When our church really reach out in love and compassion and they know that the church cares, friends, they will miss us when we are not around. That's where the impact really is whether it is upon one life, one office worker, one student, or whether it be upon thousands. The power of compassion. How can we do that? We think it is beyond us. But look into this incident again, the miracle again. One church, one life, one lunch can make the difference. That's all that it takes. One lunch can make a difference. But Jesus said, you feed them. Now, you cannot see it in the English translation. But in the Greek, the emphasis here is on the you. 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 So the disciples say, send them away. Jesus would not have any of that. He says, you feed them. Jesus did not say, I will feed them. Bring them to me. No. He looked at the disciples and said, you feed them. Now, Jesus is not washing his hand off everything and just chuck the problem to the disciples. John chapter 6, verse 6, Jesus, the Bible says Jesus already knew what he was about to do. He already knew about the multiplication of the bread and the fish. He already knew. But he said, he told the disciples, you feed them. Why? Because Jesus wanted to test them. John reveals that to us. It was just a test. A test of faith, whether the people will rise up and believe that the, and trust in the miracle worker, the good shepherd that was standing before them. But they did not see it. All they saw was their lack. We don't have the money. And even if, we, if, if, even if we have the money, how are they going to get the food? The nearest town is Bethsaida, which is about one or two miles away. And Bethsaida is just a small place. Joy Bakery there cannot cater for 5,000 people. They don't have enough food there also. The other town is uh, Chorazin, five miles away. Capernaum, seven miles away. Impossible, impossible. But Jesus said, you. I want you, not somebody else. You see, when we see a problem and we have a problem with people, we always think, let somebody else do it. Jesus says, no, you do it. When we see a problem, immediately we say, let's hire somebody, a professional, to, to handle it. Jesus says, no, you do it. How? With what? They ask. And it was Andrew who came up with the answer. 
It's not recorded here in Mark. They just said, yeah, you know how much bread you have? Go and find out. And it was Andrew who went and found out. And Andrew found a little boy. And Andrew said, here is a boy with five barley, with five small barley loaves and two small fish. But how far will they go among so many? Even though Andrew found the solution, but he said, it's not the solution really. How far will they go among so many? Now here is a picture of the fish and the loaf. It's not, it doesn't rhyme with the verse that's quoted up there in John chapter 6 verse 9 because it says what? Five what? Big loaves? No, it's only small barley loaves. And two big fish? No, it's only two small fish. Maybe just a sardine fish. Alright, just a sardine fish. And the emphasis is upon small. Hey, it's very small. It's a little boy's lunch. It's not enough. We look at the smallness. We look at our littleness. And we give up. Impossible. Jesus, you want us to do what? <laughs> Feed the 5,000 with what? Finally, they found these small ones. What are these? But it is enough, and a miracle happened. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish, look up toward heaven. Prayer, brother, sister. Even Jesus depended upon prayer. Look up towards heaven, the source of all blessings. Have we prayed? Have you prayed? Have you grown in your prayer life? He looked up toward heaven and he blessed them, seeking for the blessings of God upon the little that you have. He blessed them. And then the miracles happen. When there is prayer and there is faith, means with compassion, the miracle happens. He broke the loaves into pieces, small loaves, and the Bible says he gave. But I like the New Living Translation. It says, he kept on giving. In other words, the miracles happened in the hand of Jesus. Now, Bible scholars have always questioned, how did the miracles happen? When did it happen? Did it happen when Jesus broke the bread? Or when the disciples were giving out the bread and it kept multiplying? When did it happen? But here it seems that he kept on giving. In other words, they bring one empty basket, he brought the bread, he filled it, you know, and he came on giving. And after that, they took out the, the full basket, they begin to distribute, they bring another empty basket, he brought the bread and they dis distribute. It happened in the very hand of the Lord Jesus Christ as he kept filling the baskets with loaves of bread and, and the fish that was multiplied. It happened in that manner. From one small lunch. Now Jesus could have fed the crowd by creating food. as nihilo. That means out of nothing. He could have created the food out of nothing. But he chose to use a small lunch of a little boy and multiply it beyond human capability. He could have fed just like the Lord fed the Israelites in the wilderness. Three million people at least. Every morning they had manna falling down from heaven. He could have done it in a similar manner. But no, he chose to use what little we have and he blessed it and fed the people. They all ate. Everybody ate until they were so satisfied. The miracles of God always satisfies all our needs. Amen. One lunch, two mites, one lunch from a little boy, two mites from a widow, little is much in the hands of God. That's part of the miracle. That's part of the teaching of the miracle. Let's continue to trust the Lord. 
that when we surrender even the little into His hands, He can bless it, multiply it, and use it to bless people. That's all that He requires from us. He says, you feed them. In an N N NLT, you feed them. In other translations, you give them something to eat. But I like the word, you feed them. Jesus expects us to do more than feel sorry for the lost and the hurting people around us. He expects us to do something to help them. This is compassion. By the grace of God, we have been able to do some little words to bless the community. GT Ministries, one of the four pillars of glad tidings. We have win souls, build people, impact community, and rich nations. And this impacting community, since the late 1990s, we have started ministries, now called Life Care Community Services, that have mended broken lives and served the public good. It all, many of these homes and ministries started with somebody who have a compassionate heart. They saw a need. They see the people as sheep without shepherd. Who's to care for them? They rose up with the compassion of the Lord. That's how we are able to start many of these ministries. From the time of Brother Daniel in Life Zone, the first uh, director of Life Zone Community, to even Pastor Mary over the elderly folks, you know, the heritage home. You think it's easy? You think anybody can just do that kind of a job? No. It takes a compassionate heart. Hallelujah. It takes a heart of compassion to do these kind of things. And we have Pastor Kunsing over healing rooms. I mean, there are needs of people that just come. Who to minister to them? We cannot hire a professional to do that kind of thing. It's easy to say, send them away. But thank God, the church did not say, send them away. The church said, we'll reach out. We'll feed them. And then we started ministry. It's even like you know, the, 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 the recent years. And a food bank that now reaches out to every month about 200 families, poor people who will take care of them. It's easy to say, not, they don't come to our church. Uh, some of them do, all right, no, but not everybody. And then last year we have the Glad Shop. Praise God for that. But Glad Shop, you know, they, they've been. They've been uh, 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 been able to sell uh, uh, clothing and, and, and other goods in order to support these other ministries. But it, it is run by people who have a heart for it. And all these, uh, and some of these, uh, uh, like the food bank, for example, every Saturday we have volunteers who come and pack the food and sort out the food and all that. And they are volunteering. Why are they doing all of these things? To bless the 200 families that they many times they may not even know. And glad, glad shop, we have people who just sort out the clothing, who sold the clothing sometimes if he, he needs to, you know, who just separate the, the, the bosses and bosses, you know, that have been donated to us. These people do it. Thank God for that. And now we are going to have the charity bazaar at the end of the month. And the cells are rallying together, excited, taking up all the stores. All, in fact, all the stores have been taken up. And now they are buying the coupons, selling it to their friends, saying it's for a charity cause. And it's not, just get, it's not just selling them the coupons, but getting them to come to, to, to see what, 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 what we have been doing, how the Lord has been blessing even the poor and the needy through us and through them. How can we do all that? We thank God for all you people. Life care community services have mended broken lives, served the public good because it is an integration of love, love for God and love for neighbor. That's what the ministry is. It is not just loving God, 
but loving our neighbor and knowing that when you know, our God, a God of compassion, loves and cares for the needy, the poor. That's why we are doing it, just following the example of Jesus. And service to the needy arises from koinonia. The koinonia, the fellowship of the saints here, a sense of belonging to God's community. If one person is just to do it all by himself, they will give up sooner or later. But we have been in this for so long already. Why? Because of the koinonia, the community of faith here. We continue to encourage, sustain, and motivate one another. And members who provide help demonstrate a deep sense of personal responsibility and love for those in need. We thank God for each and every one of you who have reached out with the compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ. You may not know it, but that little lunch, that little hour, no, no, that effort that you gave unto the Lord, it has gone a long way to serve somebody who is in need. Let's give the Lord and let's give every one of them a big hand. So this charity bazaar, let's just give our all, let's give our hearts even to the Lord in this area. You feed them, Jesus says. But some of you are asking, what can I do? If you think that you are too young or too old, too poor or too uneducated or too small to do anything, remember this African proverb. If you think you are too small to make a difference, try spending a night in a closed room with a mosquito. And some of you have that, not just one, it may be two mosquitoes. Ah, sleepless night already. You slap here, slap there, slap there, cannot get the mosquito. Just one small mosquito can make a difference in your life, whether you have a good night or a lousy night. Some of you think I'm too small. No, you can make a difference. God called me into the ministry. And God gave me a vision. It is just like this. Masses of people. I see the sea of people all with their heads looking up towards heaven. I couldn't understand that vision. And I asked God, God, what are you telling me? And God gave me these words. Exact words. They are hungry. Feed them. They are hungry. Feed them. My life is dedicated for that goal. To fulfill the vision that God has placed in my heart. Everywhere I go. Previous church, previous ministries, present, future, whatever it is. My call is they are hungry. Feed them. I must feed. Whether it be through the preaching of God's word, that's why I take preaching so seriously. People must be fed. They are hungry, not just the Word of God, but in physical ways, in other ways as well, in spiritual ways. You feed them. How can we feed them? You feed them. First of all, we must see people as Jesus sees them. Sheep without shepherd. Not a burden, not a nuisance, not a problem, but just as sheep without shepherd. And secondly, let God touch you with His compassion in reaching and feeding the lost. We're not talking about programs and other things that will come. The main thing is the compassion of God. It must grip our heart that we will be more compassionate and move to action with the love of God. And thirdly, use what you have. Let God bless it. Remember that a little is always a lot in the hands of God. One hour that you give in teaching somebody, even some lessons or, 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 or subjects, whether it be geography or history, or the Bible, it can make a difference. A prayer that you pray for somebody in the office. Lord, I don't know, I, I, I'm not a gifted healing evangelist, but the little prayer that you pray for somebody in the office, 
can make a difference. Use the little that you have. Surrender it to the Lord. Thank God for it and surrender and He will bless the gifting, the little that is surrendered unto the Lord. You feed them. And this is a call that God has given to us as a church. It's a privilege. It's a responsibility. And we thank God. We thank God that He has chosen us to do it. And what He has chosen, He will equip. He will equip us to impact our community in the days to come. Now and in the days to come. Somebody say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. The Lord wants to use you. He says, you, you, you have been chosen to feed them. Hallelujah. Shall we pray? Hallelujah. Thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, dear Lord. We'd like to pray. First of all, we'd like to pray for those who are really needy in our midst even. Now, God is a God of compassion. He knows exactly your needs. He knows where you are and He's moved with compassion to do something about it, to touch you. You need a healing touch of God. God is here. He's a God of compassion. He wants to heal you. Let Him touch you. Is there a financial breakthrough that you need? God is here. He, he is your shepherd. So whatever needs that you may have today, let's come in confidence. The teaching of this story here of the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 is not about the food alone, but the God of compassion. Jesus had compassion on you. And now He wants to do something about you. Something about your situation. Will you rise up in faith and prayer and say, Yes, Lord. Oh God, touch me in this area. That's the first thing that we like to pray for. And secondly, you want to surrender what you have unto the Lord. You want to be used by the Lord to impact somebody's life, to make a difference. Will you surrender yourself to the Lord as well? Shall we stand together? Even as we are going to pray for these two areas, you want the, the Lord to minister to certain areas of your need, whatever that may be. God of compassion, your shepherd is here. Come on and stand on my lap. We are going to pray and believe God for the miracle to happen. The miracle to happen. And then you want the Lord to use you. God wants to use you. Maybe you're not sure of how or what and all that. But you just want to surrender that gift that you have. Yeah, and that talent that you have. That which He has laid upon your heart. You just want to surrender it to the Lord to be used by Him. You come on my right. Let's all pray together right now as we worship the Lord. You come.